Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are here. Since we are gathered to hear God's word, and to call upon him in prayer and praise, let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought and word and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Together as his people, let us take refuge in the infinite mercy of God, our Heavenly Father, seeking his grace for the sake of Christ and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Almighty God, have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to everlasting life. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I saw the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. to be praised in the city of our God. O Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, O Lord, have mercy, to God on thy Take our sins away. Have 
Almighty God, you show mercy to your people in all their troubles. Grant us always to recognize your goodness, give thanks for your compassion, and praise your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The scripture readings for this, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, the Old Testament lesson from the first chapter of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlan and Kiliah. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two Moabite, took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years, and both Mahlan and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And this is the word of the Lord. He will command his angels concerning you. 
to guard you in all your ways. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The epistle lesson from the second chapter of Paul's second letter to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. 
the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, o On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Confess with me our holy Christian faith and the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is from the Gospel reading these first words of Luke 17, the 12 and following. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is our text, dear friends. In the text for this morning, in the gospel reading, we've heard a bit about a particularly ugly disease. Now, like most diseases are ugly in their own ways, this disease is also very ugly. This one's especially ugly. It's harsh, you see, for the eyes to look upon. It's even harsher for the one who suffers from the disease, who suffers the consequential fallout of contracting the sickness. It's a disease that affects the hands and the feet and the eyes, too. It eats away at one's body, slowly but surely consuming it. And when left untreated, this disease leaves its victims with a loss of feeling and sensation. It leaves them paralyzed. Ultimately, it leaves them blind. And I'm not talking about leprosy. I well could be talking about leprosy, but I'm not. See, certainly so. The symptoms that were just named to you, they are indeed the symptoms of leprosy. It is an ugly disease to behold. It's uglier to live with. Leprosy is infectious. It affects the victim's hands and feet and eyes. The disease is known to consume the body and slowly destroy it. And left untreated, leprosy leaves its carrier without feeling or sensation, paralyzed, ultimately blind. All of these things are true of leprosy. But do you know that these symptoms are equally true and even more indicative of another and a greater disease? And this one's the most destructive. This one is the most pervasive and bar none, the most deadly disease of all. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about mankind's malady of sin. As one has well put it, sin is a leprosy of the soul which is far deeper than any leprosy of the skin could ever be. Sin. Sin, the leprosy of the soul. All ten of those lepers from the text, they had it, you've got it. I've got it too. Samaritan or Jew, American or not, it makes no difference. The disease doesn't discriminate. Rich or poor, it matters not. This disease is gender neutral. It affects you, no matter who you are, where you are, no matter with whom you spend or where you spend your days, this one affects you. Scripture tells us it's a a disease that affects us all. Now, we'd like to think, in fact, we'd love to think and believe that, that there's been a misdiagnosis, but the symptoms don't lie. I'm sure like any one of those ten lepers who would have brought that first aggravating skin lesion, that first aggravating but all too persistent skin lesion to the physician, or or in their case it would have been to the priest, to take a look. And And he would have inspected it and taken a close look at that symptom. And having done so, he would have diagnosed it and then given the news that none would have wanted to hear Well, I'm sorry to say that, sir, is leprosy that you've got. Deny it as they might have denied it 
fact remains, the symptoms don't lie. And sin's symptoms, they don't lie either. Now, they do vary. They widely vary, almost as widely as the people that sin infects. For some, the deeper sickness of that sin within has or, or does manifest itself in the breakdown of our bodies in leprosy, in the form of leprosy, or perhaps some other dermatological disease of some sort. It's cancer for some. Or it manifests itself in diabetes or lupus or arthritis or pneumonia or lymphoma, anemia or bulimia or MS or ADD or STDs or HIV or AIDS or OCD. All of these things or complications and failings of the heart. Or complications and failings of the mind. Maybe it's in one of these ways that it's affected you. You know what your medicine cabinets look like. And you see the undoing effect and the evidence of our sin within as it plays itself out in, in our lives in, in miscarriages and in our broken marriages. In fractured families and bad memories and loneliness and friends, the list goes on and on and it's endless, this list of symptoms that testifies to us that the diagnosis of our sin is no misdiagnosis at all. It's right on the mark. And as was mentioned before, it doesn't take long to see that all, at all to see that like the leprosy of, of the skin, this leprosy of the soul, too, it certainly affects our hands. The hands of those who are carriers, sin affects the hands more specifically. Maybe we'd say that it affects what one does with his hands. So should we be surprised at all when we find that our hands, even from the earliest ages and, and stages, our hands so often do what we'd expect the hands of sinners to do. And like leprosy of the skin, we'll see also in, with the leprosy of the soul, we'll see that it affects our feet. More specifically, it affects the path that these feet walk so often instinctively. Tending away from the God-pleasing direction that they should walk. Truth is, like the leprosy of the skin, this leprosy of, of the soul, too, it can leave us all too easily desensitized. Without feeling, really. As we would go along in life, sin untreated, we'd become numb over time. That's what happens. We become numb over time to our God-given conscience that's been given us to guide our hands and our feet. Like the leprosy of the skin, sin, sin leaves man paralyzed, Completely powerless of himself to help himself up and out of his condition. Paul reminds us of this in several places. Reminds us of our natural condition. That it leaves us without strength, he says. Leaves us powerless, dead, he says, in our trespasses. Sin leaves a man blind. Unable even to see his own condition. Condition ultimately that's incurable by any human effort. So you see this leprosy of the soul, this one, it too, it's ugly to look upon. And you yourselves know it's far uglier to live with. 
Like it or not, we're much closer than perhaps we first imagined to those leprous ten in the text. But then, here comes Christ. Now, he's got to come to them. He's got to come to lepers, for given the condition, lepers of the skin, and it's true of lepers of the soul, too, are not allowed by the law to come to him. According to Mosaic law, those ten lepers, they were unclean, and he was clean. Lepers didn't belong in his presence, not in the presence of the clean, For this reason, they were removed from society and marked as unclean because, you see, they were regarded by society as those who were already dead. But comes then Christ Jesus to the living dead. We, too, are are closer to that leprous ten than maybe we first imagined. For them, from past reports, these ten have heard what he could do with their impossible disease. But they may not not have been prepared for what he did do. He spoke to them. And that's it. He spoke to them. We're told nothing about him reaching out to them. We're not told that he touched them in any way. We're not told that he washed them as he had before, or rubbed mud upon them, as he did in other cases. He spoke to them. And only a handful of words, fewer words, one has interestingly pointed out, fewer words than there were leprous men. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Seven words in the English, in the Greek, fewer. Go and show yourselves to the priests. No crowd-gathering spectacular. No wow-manufacturing wonder. Just words. A command and a promise. The command, go. And the promise of healing, show yourselves to the priests. Now, as a leper, you didn't go and show yourselves to priests to be pronounced clean unless there was something, some healing to show. And as yet, they saw with their eyes nothing yet to show, no healing yet that they noticed that they could see. They had only the word and the promise of Christ, that it was as good as done. Can you imagine these ten as they stood there, standing there after he's told them, after he's given them his word, go and show Can you imagine these ten standing there looking at each other, wondering, wondering whether in faith to go and just do it, as we heard last week, wondering whether in faith to go and just do it or in skepticism to stay put and to disregard that promise so as not to be burned again by empty promises that someone's made and promises that have gone undelivered. Well, Jesus bid them go. He bid them go and believe themselves to be clean, even though they couldn't yet see it for themselves. But nevertheless, believe themselves clean because and precisely because he said they were clean. He bid 
them go and show, go and act as, live as, live in faith as one who is clean precisely because with a few unimpressive words he said they were clean. Now friends, that's an awfully familiar crossroad for us too, isn't it? We're not so unlike that leprous ten. For us, it's so familiar because it's the same juncture at which we find ourselves each and every week. When we're assembled here, people as sin-ridden as we are, and after a week as sin-ridden and broken as it's been, that's the juncture at which we find ourselves too. Confessing our sin, calling out like them, we plead, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And we're left with his words. That's what we're left with. His words. No crowd gathering spectacular here. No wow manufacturing wonder. Just words. Words that join a command. To a promise. A command and a promise. For the sake of the, su of the suffering and death of Christ Jesus. You hear it said by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. I forgive you all of your sins. That's what you hear. Go for your sins are forgiven you. That's God's command and promise. Seven words. Go for your sins are forgiven you. Go and show he's saying to us here and now. Go and live life believing that they are forgiven. Even though your eyes don't see. Maybe you don't feel what faith sees. What faith knows to be true. That's the juncture. That's the juncture. That's where, that's where we stand today. Right there, right here with that leprous ten. That's where we stand every time we hear that Christ-given promise that, that as we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us like He did them, cleanse us from all our inward unrighteousness. You've seen what Christ can do with impossible diseases. Don't you think He can do the same with our impossible sin? Would we stand in skepticism today? Assuming our sin to be too impossible, a condition to correct? Would we simply stand idle in life, rationalizing? Rationalizing that his words, they're probably not true. Or they likely lack the power to do what he said that they would do. Or, friends, or with those ten, would we go today in faith? Having heard his promise, would we go in faith from here, knowing the character of Christ? Knowing what he's capable of, would we now go with those ten convinced that because he said it, it's done? It was for them, wasn't it? Remember the text? Dr. Luke, the physician, reports to us, and I have to imagine that as Luke recorded this, he must have been amazed with his medical expertise, knowing how impossible it was, all the treatments of the day. Dr. Luke reports to us that as they went, they were cleansed. It's as good as done. 
So it is for you and me here too today. You hear that word of sin forgiven and you can go from here knowing. Knowing that it's done. Because friends, you know what he's already done. For you to deal with sin's curse. Scripture tells us. He's redeemed us from the curse. Having become the curse for us. And elsewhere, Paul says it this way. God made him who knew no sin, who knew no leprosy of the soul. God made him sin for us. So that in him we might become as clean and as holy as God. Perhaps you recall from several years ago, the Stephen King story. The Stephen King story, maybe some of you have read, had read it as a novel. Others perhaps had seen it in its movie form. It's called The Green Mile. It's a story set in the 1930s that centers around the character Paul Edgecombe, played in the movie by Tom Hanks. Paul Edgecombe's a Department of Corrections officer in charge of death row inmates at Cold Mountain Penitentiary in Louisiana. The story is told by an aged and elderly Edgecombe, recollecting the, the summer of 1935. A special summer there at the penitentiary, when a certain unforgettable inmate arrived, a, a giant. A seven-foot-tall, gentle giant named John Coffey. Now, as the story unfolds, you see how this, this character, John Coffey, is portrayed in many ways like a, a Christ-like figure. In so many ways, he's detained, he's convicted, he's on death row for, for crimes he didn't commit. And he's a man who also possessed an extraordinary and supernatural gift of healing. You may recall in the story that on one occasion, Coffey resurrects a, a mouse from the dead. On another occasion, he's brought from prison to heal the terminally ill wife of, of the prison warden. But I'm thinking of a particular scene, the one in which Paul, or rather John Coffey, he's developed this friendship with, with Edgecombe, Tom Hanks' character, and he sees the pain that Edgecombe is going through with this internal infection. It's causing him much grief and, and pain, and, and so lovingly, and determined to rid him of it, this gentle giant, he opens wide his mouth, and in a way that only Hollywood could, could portray it, he draws this infection from Edgecombe's body across the room and absorbs it into his own body. All of the present, all of the future sickness and, and pain attached to that destructive sickness and all that it would cause, he draws it from him who suffers into his own body. Well, this is what Scripture says of the real Christ. He himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree. That's how he dealt with the leprosy of our souls. He absorbed it. And friends, that's the real healing. That's the lasting healing, the healing that Christ Jesus won on the cross. It far surpasses 
and far outlasts any other healing that might be done here below, whether it's the healing of those ten lepers or any healing that might be done in your life here below, the healing one on the cross of Christ far outlasts it. All other healing has its little day, but then it's gone. The newly smooth and the fresh skin of those ten lepers, well, it would one day wrinkle again and decay and return to the dust. Or the body of that paralytic, once given strength by Christ, would again lie still. This time not on a mat, but rather in a tomb. Or the eyes of the blind man, once opened by Christ, or the ears of the deaf man. These would again go dim and dark. The sounds would grow faint and finally silent. Even the little daughter of Jairus, who was raised to life from her deathbed, one day she would lie on that deathbed again. Friends, the real healing, the lasting healing, that's yours. That's yours now as you believe what Christ has done for you on the cross and what he will do for us in time. It's yours. It's yours now, but in a sense, not yet. The sin's forgiven, and that's done. And you have his word that it's done, and that's real, and that's now. But the not yet, the lasting healing, well, for that you'll have to wait. You'll have to wait like those leprous ten. You'll have to wait in faith to see it. And as you go on your way in faith, believe it. Believe it. That at the last trumpet in the resurrection, you will see it. Lasting healing. You'll see it with your own eyes. Until then, with Job, we wait. We wait for that day when our Lord returns with healing, everlasting healing in his wings. And with Job, we confess what he did so many centuries ago. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after this skin of mine is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold. That's lasting healing. Friends, you know Christ's character and you know what he's done. And you know what he's capable of. And you have his word. In his name. Amen.
Forgive us because of his sacrifice offered up for us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For we neglect the hearing of the word of the cross. Forgive us and open our ears to the sound of our salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For we are ungrateful for the fruits of the cross, namely your holy sacraments. Forgive us and renew us through that faith which joyfully says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Preserve our nation, O Lord. Protect her from all who would harm her from within and all who would seek to destroy her from without. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless our President and Congress in the courts of our land and according to your goodwill, grant success to the mission of our armed forces abroad and protect our troops from our enemies. To that end, we pray for the safety of congregational son, Timothy Small, who prepares to soon return home, and for the rehabilitation of Jason Inman as he recovers from the loss of his hand in this time of war. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Graciously bless with your healing and reassuring presence all among us who suffer from chronic illnesses. Paul Duell, Fred Hines, Chris Hines, Martin Borgenhagen, be with those undergoing medical tests or therapy, Dennis Hines, with those preparing for surgery, Emmett Milton, who undergoes surgery tomorrow, Ginny Mulhern, who prepares for lung surgery in the weeks to come. Strengthen those who are recovering from surgery in weeks past, especially Elsie Much, Bud Balzer, and Addison Grew. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Fix, O Holy Father, the eyes of the dying on their Lord Jesus Christ, that they may confidently commend themselves to your eternal care and keeping, and comfort those who grieve the death of loved ones. Especially do we pray for our brother Joe Phillips, who gratefully remembers his wife Iris, and also the Shedler family at the death of Pastor Shedler's mother this past week. 
for the promises and presence of Christ Jesus, which through word and sacrament sustained them through their years here on earth and for receiving them home to heaven, we gratefully pray, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Abide with us in our homes that we may live out our vocations as spouses and parents and children in those ways that are pleasing to you and a blessing to each other and for the good of society. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Dwell with us in this, your congregation, as we grow together through your word preached and taught, your sacraments given and shared, and the goodwill and fellowship which Christ's love creates and nurtures among us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gratefully remembering those who confess the faith before us, the saints of ages past, among whom are numbered our own loved ones, we pray, O Lord, that your spirit would give us that same courage to confess the same name which they did, the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, giver and perfecter of our faith, we thank and we praise you for continuing among us the preaching of your gospel for our instruction and edification. Send your blessing upon the word which has been spoken to us, and by your Holy Spirit increase our saving knowledge of you, that day by day we may be strengthened in the divine truth and remain steadfast in your grace. Give us strength to fight the good fight, and by faith to overcome all the temptations of Satan, the flesh, and the world, so that we may finally receive the salvation of our souls. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.